0: Bible. And while you do that, we're going to dismiss our children to head upstairs for kids crew. They're going to meet our leaders here at the front and then make their way upstairs. This is for kids who are fourth grade and younger for kids crew. A time of worship designed specifically for them where they engage with the truths of the Bible. John chapter 6 there was a football game yesterday on TV. A few football games, and uh, I'll tell you what—I didn't watch not even a minute of it. Uh, I didn't. I—I I decided early in the day. I—I I got sort of a wild hair, and I thought, "It's 70 degrees on a Saturday in November. That's probably not going to happen again for a while. I hope to be wrong on that, but probably that's not going to happen again for a while." So I thought today seems like a good day to get the Christmas lights down. So I, I got up in the attic and I got the Christmas lights down and that job kind of ballooned on me a little bit. It took longer than I thought it would. And so what I expected to have done before the game started, I didn't have finished until uh, well later. And then uh, we were going to go eat last night with Rayleigh's dad and and her great uncle was in town. And so we met them at Kins and Amber and... Uh, And and we had a great meal together last night. And so in the midst of all of that, I totally missed uh, the the football game. Uh, And I don't regret that decision one bit. As an OU fan, I'm not the least bit disappointed that I didn't watch uh, given the outcome. But really, my intro has nothing to do with the football game and has everything to do with a simple realization that I came to last night as we were having dinner at Ken's, which by the way, if you've never been there, you got to go. It's really good. Uh, and, and I'm biased perhaps because the Kennedys are a wonderful part of our church family and even our neighbors dear to us. But uh, really, it's great food. But I came to this conclusion last night, conclusion I should say, that uh, I think I like the toast as much as I like the steak. Like I really like bread. Okay, that's the profound, that's the really profound realization that I came to. I've been thinking about this text that I'm gonna preach out of today. And so admittedly, this has been bouncing around in my head. Jesus makes the proclamation, I am the bread of life. And as I'm mulling over the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, I came to realize yesterday, I really like bread. I really do. Um, In fact, when I think about most of my favorite meals involve Bread in some manner, right? Some form, that bread is a part of the meal. I love carbohydrates, which is maybe also why I've had to fall in love with running is so that I can burn all of the carbohydrates that I, that I love to eat. But I, I love bread. One of the greatest punishments for me would be if I were to develop like a gluten intolerance or something like that would just about do me in, I think, because I love bread so much. And as Jesus talks about the bread of life today, we're gonna dig into this text, of course, and really try to understand what Jesus means here. This is the part that I want you to understand. When Jesus says to a group of people who are pressing after him, when he says that I am the bread of life, what he's saying to them is that I can satisfy you in a way that these earthly things, these earthly pleasures these earthly things cannot. And that's really the point. The, the the story behind the story, if you will, in John chapter 6 is that Jesus has just performed one of his great miracles. In fact, really if we follow John's timeline, the timelines of the gospel accounts are all just a little bit different because the gospel writers have sort of arranged the material thematically historically yes to be fair historically but also in telling a bigger story as well but especially in John's in John's chronology so in John's timeline you have on one day Jesus feeding 5000 we we looked at that particular passage a few weeks ago and then that same night there being the storm and Jesus walking on the water with the disciples on the sea, and then the following day, this teaching, this proclamation to them, I am the bread of life. And so on the heels of something quite miraculous, really two things quite miraculous, one that was witnessed publicly with the feeding of the great crowd, Another witnessed more privately with Jesus walking on the water with his disciples, but on the on the heels of these two really important moments when people are pressing Jesus, when the crowds that literally run to him wherever he goes and they're, and, they, and they can't get enough, give us more, give us something to and really what they're saying is in effect, is give us what we want, meet our needs, satisfy us, fill our longings, be who we, you, we want you to be. And out of that, Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, I'm the bread of the life, and unless you eat of my flesh, you cannot inherit my kingdom. And at first, we hear that, and we think, okay, that's a little bit That's a little weird, but okay, we can understand that. We can unpack that enough. But when we really get to the heart of what Jesus is saying, we come to realize that this is an unequivocal line in the sand that Jesus is drawing. Jesus is saying, unless you give up everything to follow me, you will never be one of my own. And so troubling was that statement that we'll read in just a moment that many turned back from following him. Even his own disciples said, well, Jesus, if this is the case, then who can be saved? And so let's understand together that Jesus has everything you desire and everything you need. But he also offers it on his non-negotiable terms, that you would take him as Lord and as Savior, as boss, as as truly as the the sovereign king of your heart that we sang about, or else not at all. And that's really the point of what Jesus says. Unless you eat of my flesh, you can't sort of eat something, right? I mean, you can, I, I suppose, in a way that I won't even try to explain, but like if you put something in your mouth and spit it out, then you didn't eat it, right? Because to digest, to take something in, to eat it, to digest it, to let it run through your body's system so that it supplies nutrition and what you need fuel for the body, it's an all or none sort of thing. And that's really at the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Following me is an all or none proposition. You don't kind of put the hand to the plow and turn back. You don't kind of follow me and look, but you don't don't kind of make me the king of your heart. Either I am or I'm not. And so with that in mind, let's read what what Jesus teaches here in John chapter six. It's a lot of text. I admit that up front. We're gonna read from verse 22 to verse 69. So a lot of text, but I want to get all of this in because I, I think, understanding what's happening here and what Jesus teaches is so important for us. Okay, John chapter 6 beginning in verse 22. On the next day, this is the day after the feeding of the 5,000, the, the day following the miracle of walking on water. The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread of the Lord after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, "Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he say now, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, "'Do not grumble among yourselves. "'No one can come to me "'unless the Father who sent me draws him, "'and I will raise him up on the last day "'as it's written in the prophets, "'and they will all be taught by God. "'Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father "'comes to me. "'Not that anyone has seen the Father "'except he who is from God has seen the Father. "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'whoever believes has eternal life. "'I am the bread of life. "'Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness "'and they died.' Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so it is through this simple yet profoundly weighty teaching that that Jesus draws this line in the sand, if you will. That if you are to follow me, it will require total surrender, complete sacrifice. If you were here this past Wednesday night in the midweek Bible study that I lead, which meets in this room on 615 at Wednesday night, we studied in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we have the story of the rich young man. And we saw a very similar thing in Luke chapter 18 that perhaps you might even be a little more familiar with in the context of that teaching. In Luke chapter 18, a a young man says to a rich young man says to jesus teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus begins quoting to him from the the law you've heard what the law says you're to you're to uh, not steal and not commit adultery and not murder to honor your father and mother and the young man says all of these things i've done from my youth and jesus says there's one thing that you lack go sell everything that you have come and follow me And we read in Luke 18 that he he walked away sad, the rich young man walked away sad because he wasn't willing to take that step. Now, Jesus wasn't teaching that you could sell all of your things and thus buy your way into heaven. That wasn't the point. The point that Jesus was saying to this rich young man is, you may be a good person, you may have done good things, but the only way to receive eternal life, the the very thing he was seeking, was total surrender. You have to surrender everything to me. And Jesus knew that his, his uh, pressure point, if you will, he knew that the, the, the place where this young man would struggle would be at that point of his, of his possessions, of his things, his, his, his wealth. In this situation, the people come to Jesus, having just witnessed him bless a sack lunch and turn it into a banquet feast, and now they press him saying, Jesus give us this, feed us, give us this bread, feed us, do these great things for us. And Jesus, he says plainly to them that I'm the bread of life. I am the one who came down from heaven. Of course, when they heard that, they understood that that was, that was a statement, that was a, a a really strong statement that Jesus was making, that he was, in fact, God. That, to say that he had come down from heaven, and that that, that God the Father was his Father, this was this was a, a, a proclamation of his divinity. This is one and the same as Jesus saying, "I am the Messiah. I am the promised one." His audience understood that, and so they begin to grumble. Isn't this? How could this be? How could this truly be the Messiah? Isn't that Joseph and Mary's son? We know this guy. We've watched this guy grow up. And they're saying to him, do these miracles, do these things. Show us a sign that you're the one then, if you are the one. And Jesus says, you want a sign, here's the sign. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no place with me. And they were put off by that, not because they saw it as somehow gruesome, though really, in a way, it is. They even say to themselves, how can we eat of his flesh? How would we do that? But the part of that statement that put them off was the, the proclamation of his divine nature that they understood. They understood Jesus to be saying, I am one with the Father. And they thought, no, you're not. I mean, that's what they, that's their reaction that we see, right? Even Jesus' own disciples which was not everyone in the crowd, apparently. There were some, not just the 12, another group that are referred to here as the disciples. And even amongst his disciples, many turned back. In this teaching, I think Jesus, he's speaking about salvation. Clearly, he's speaking about salvation. To make the proclamation that He's the bread of life is to say, "I am the one who can satisfy your heart's hunger. I am the one who can give it, give you what it is that you are seeking." Sadly, they wanted full bellies rather than full hearts. Right? They wanted they wanted their their desires, their fleshly desires, met rather than their spiritual needs met. Many, and they turned away from following after Jesus. The first thing that we see in, in this is the plan of salvation. I want you to, to, to see this, just recognize this in this text. The, the plan of salvation. Jesus says quite plainly, in fact, it's, it's really one of his most straightforward statements about what it takes in verse 40. Look at what he says. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is declaring himself here to be the Son. The Son. By calling God the Father, my Father. He is, he is declaring himself to be the Son. And he says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son, that's me, Jesus is saying... Everyone who comes to me, everyone who looks on me, everyone who receives my words should have eternal life. You want to know how to have your greatest need met? You want to know how to truly find this eternal life, this permanent satisfaction that they were seeking, Jesus says. It's not found in any bread that I can physically give you. Rather, it's found by delighting in me don't we do this still today? We come to Jesus and what we want is a, a full belly rather than a full heart. What we want are physical desires, emotional desires. We want, we want our, our desires met. And so we, we come to Christ and we say, give me meaning, give me purpose, satisfy me, make me feel, make me feel important. Even sometimes when we come together in corporate worship, we walk into this, into this place and we approach the Lord as consumers, seeking what he can give us, what he can do for us, how it makes us feel. But don't you recognize that when we do that, we make, we make faith and belief about ourselves, about what we want, about what we get, about what we would have the Lord do for us rather than coming to him and humbling ourselves before him. But the plan of salvation is simply this, that in order to be saved, we must submit to the Son. We must submit to the Son. We must come to him with humility and, and take him as he is for what he says. We would that, That's what Jesus means by eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Last week, we celebrated the Lord's Supper together in our time of corporate worship. And even as we did that, we talked about the fact that we, we do that in remembrance of what the Lord taught us, that by partaking with him, By by coming to him and submitting ourselves to him, humbling ourselves before his teaching, taking his yoke upon us, as Jesus proclaims in Matthew chapter 11. We submit ourselves to him. That's the plan of salvation, that everyone who comes to him in faith, everyone who identifies with Jesus by faith, everyone who submits themselves to him in faith is saved. Corey asked Brandon a very plain, straightforward question in his baptism this morning. He said, Brandon, have you you confessed Jesus with your mouth? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? The reason that language was used there is because that's just taking the very words of Scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And turning it into a public confession that if we would if we would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we can be saved. The plan of salvation is for people to turn from their own their, their, their own desires, their own wants, their own their own resources to turn to the Savior, the one who has the power to save. To acknowledge that, that we can never satisfy that longing within ourselves that only Jesus can satisfy that longing. It's the plan of salvation. But he also speaks here of what I would call the process of salvation. The process of salvation. The process of salvation, if I can summarize it in just a very simple one word answer, would be it's about submission. It's about submission. It's about surrender. It's about coming to to the Lord and humbling ourselves before him rather than boasting on the record of our own righteousness, rather than believing and and hoping in the things that we might do for ourselves, the things that we have done, our own goodness, rather it's recognizing that that before a holy and righteous God, I I am nothing, even the best that I have to offer, still not enough. There were many in Jesus' day who, well, they, they did not receive that and believe. There were many in Jesus' day who said, no, that's, that's not it. That, that can't be it. And they walked away. Sadly, there are many today who would hear that same message and would say, that, you, you've taken it too far. That's a step too far. I can't, I can't go there with you. I, I get the idea of following these teachings and following these. I get the idea of I need to, I need to come to church. I need to try to be good. I, I, I get the idea that, that I, I, need to, I need to try to, to make this an, a priority in my life. But if you would somehow say to me, even all of that is worthless unless I believe, unless I submit myself, there are many who would say, no, I, I can't. Because I'm, inherently, I'm a good person. Inherently, I, I, I'm, a pretty good, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good woman. I, and Jesus says that before me, your righteousness is worthless. That unless you would come to me and submit yourself to me, that's that's what that's the message behind the message here you see when he speaks of your fathers grumbling in the wilderness because they received the bread of life so make the connection there with what's happening jesus is pointing back to a time in the in, in the history of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, when they were in what we refer to as the period of the Exodus, when they awoke every morning to the manna on the ground, it was the bread that God sent to them every day to meet their needs, and it was always enough to sustain them. it was always enough to satisfy and yet when you read in the book of Exodus the story, you see that people were they, they, they complained. God gave them what they needed to sustain life and to, and to live. And yet it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough for them. And so they, they asked for quail. And at one point, God sent quail. And many of them ate the quail. And then thousands of them died because of, you know. And there's this story about how no matter what God did, it wasn't enough. And that's the connection that Jesus is making here with that story. By looking into their own history in the past, he's saying... Don't you realize that your fathers, they wanted wanted this bread as well, and when God gave it to them, it wasn't enough. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am what the Father has given you, and unless you receive it, you will not find salvation. And yet, many disputed, they disagreed, and... Ultimately, they disengaged because they walked away. Today, you and I, we have a choice to make. Either we will come to the Lord on his terms, either we will submit ourselves to him, either we will be fully yielded to him, turning from our own righteousness, our own record of right versus wrong, the things that we can do or else there is no salvation. This is the process. It's a a way of submission and surrender. That we would accept Jesus as our sovereign Lord. And then finally, what we see here is the power of salvation. Now, the crowd saw Jesus's power on display. Truly, they did. The day before, they saw Jesus' perform an incredible miracle and you even see in the early verses hints at the understanding that he must have done something else because there were many in the crowd saying Jesus how did you get on this side of the lake because you were just on the other side of the lake and now you're here and you didn't leave in a boat we saw you you didn't leave with the rest of them in the boat so how did you get here Jesus of course we know how he got there right he just took out walking on the water but they were so, they were so uh, blinded, maybe is the right word, blinded by their own desire for more miracles, more things that that help make us believe, show us, prove to us who you are, and what Jesus says to them is, no, I, I, I've done, i done, what I've done is enough, that unless you eat of this flesh, drink of this blood. Unless you come to me in submission and surrender, you will never receive salvation. But it's this final confession on the part of Peter that is most compelling. Because in verse 68, 69, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, Jesus, where else are we gonna go? No one, you are the Christ. How could we find salvation in anyone else? So he confesses Jesus' power of salvation, that there is salvation in Christ when we turn to him. Again, if I could point back to Romans chapter 10, in those verses, uh, nine, and then again later in verse 13 in Romans 10, if you were to, you can look this up. In verse nine, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be be saved. There it is again, twice, that confession. And I think the word will, the future tense of the, the word to be, right? That's the key. That's the key word there. It's not that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord could be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord might be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord has taken a, st- everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who comes to Jesus in faith this is the power of salvation. that he saves those who would submit themselves to him. Those who would receive him on his terms. Which ultimately, of course, begs the question. Have I accepted Jesus on his terms? Have you accepted Jesus at his word? Have you submitted yourself to him? Or are you trusting in your own goodness are you are you seeking something else in Jesus own day many who followed after him heard this word and walked away my hope is that today you would hear this word and you would not turn away rather you would you would turn to Jesus in faith in a moment we're going to move into a time of response a time of invitation and in our time of invitation today if you've never trusted jesus by faith if you've never surrendered your heart to him by submitting yourself to him truly as lord and savior not trusting in yourself not trusting in your goodness not trusting in the good things that you've done not believing that you're a good person and if you could just be a little bit better of a person then it would be enough by acknowledging your woeful inability to save yourself, if you would turn to Jesus, you will be saved. And so as we stand and sing that song in a few minutes, if God's moving in your heart that way, then I would encourage you to come. Jesus said in verse 44 that no one comes unless the Father draws him. And so if, if, you, if you sense that stirring inside of you today, like I need, to, I need to act on this, can I encourage you? The Father is drawing you. The fact that you can understand this and that there would be any part of you that would, that, would, that would have a desire, that's the work of the Lord in your heart prompting you. Would you submit yourself to Jesus today that you might be saved? My prayer is that we would turn our hearts to him. So the song we're gonna sing is, is the song, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And so we sing in, in that song, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's poetic language, of course. There's not a literal fountain somewhere that you have to take a dip in, right? But we understand the point nonetheless that Jesus shed his actual blood for us on the cross He gave his life for us. And if we would come to him in faith, surrender our lives to him in faith, confess him as Lord and Savior, then we can be saved from our sins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. All your guilt, all your shame, all the wrong that you've done, forgiven by a gracious and loving Savior who... Who invites you come eat and be satisfied come taste and see come to me all you who are weary heavy laden take my yoke upon you he says follow me today would you be willing to follow Jesus I would invite you now to bow your heads with me as we have a moment of prayer and after we pray together then we will stand and we'll begin to sing and as we sing in this moment that is designed for us to respond to the message we've heard today if God is stirring your heart and you're ready to trust Jesus then I would encourage you to come forward even as we sing I'll be here at the front Brad will be here at the front we would love to pray with you and walk you through that simple process of surrender as you submit yourself to Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, we are grateful that we can eat of this bread and never hunger again because you satisfy Jesus. We know that you weren't talking about a literal hunger nor a physical bread of sorts, but rather, Lord, we're to come to you. We're to submit ourselves to you we're to delight in you and what you provide so that we may be saved. Move in our hearts now, Jesus. May your spirit prompt anyone in our presence that doesn't know you to trust in you by faith today. As the Father draws them, may you bring that, that, that convicting nudge of your Holy Spirit, that 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 prompting that would lead us to trust in you by faith. And so move in our midst now, we pray, Jesus.